I just want to give you guys a little bit of recap, especially if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, of where we've been, because it does kind of set the stage for where we're going. So, uh, first of all, uh, the book of First Peter, right? We call it a book because it's a book of the Bible, but it was actually a letter. Uh, Peter wrote this letter late in his life. This is the same Peter that walked with Jesus, that saw the explosion of the early church. Uh, it's the same Peter, same guy. Uh, and late in his life, he wrote this letter uh, to groups of uh, Jewish Christians that had been scattered uh, throughout Rome. And so he writes to them. Um, they're persecuted. They're scattered. Um, they feel kind of lost. They're exiles. And we've talked about that over the last couple of, of weeks. And Peter writes this letter to them. So it's important for us to understand. In the first week, we talked about how we have hope beyond this life. We said because of Jesus, we have this eternal living hope. And, and because we know that, because we know that this hope that Jesus gives us never dies, uh, it puts into perspective some of the hardships and trials that we have to walk through now, right? Because we can say, well, my hope is in Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ will never cease, uh, because he gives me eternal life, uh, I can kind of put my hardships and my trials into perspective. And then last week, uh, Mr. Charles White uh, delivered the message, and he talked about how we have hope beyond our past, he said, because of what Jesus has done for us, uh, we don't have to hold on to our past any longer. That we can move past that. You see the pun, past? Um, we can move past that, and we can actually uh, experience the life that God has for us by, by kind of quitting and, and putting away uh, the old way that we used to live. And so we talked about that uh, last week. And so today, uh, we're going to talk about how we have hope beyond insignificance. So we're going to talk about how we have hope beyond insignificance. And I want to remind you, um, this is a letter, okay? So as we're kind of walking through this, just like you would read any other letter, um, there are going to be transitional thoughts, and there are going to be ideas, and he's going to, he's going to kind of say one thing and then go to something else and then come back to it, right? Um, because it's, it's a very conversational uh, letter that Peter's writing here. Uh, and so with that in mind, let's jump here into the first uh, three verses. So First Peter chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 and then move on through 3, okay? So he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now this, this pure spiritual milk that he's talking about, in a lot of other translations it says the milk of the word. It's essentially talking about scripture, and it's talking about us spending time with Jesus through scripture, like we talk about soaping uh, through passages of scripture uh, by, our, by ourselves in the morning or at night. Um, this is what he's talking about, and this is what we should crave. Um, for those of you that don't know, my wife and I have a three-month-old daughter. Her name's Lennon. And um, honestly, the first, like, 12 weeks of her life were really hard. She was colicky, and, like, it, it, was, it was tough. Um, but she's, she's really turned a corner, and she's so sweet and precious and smiley and all these things. And it's just, it's amazing. And we're just loving it so much. Um, and so since she's three months old now, uh, we've been uh, trying to kind of sleep train her because that's making it a little easier on us if she's on a little bit of a rhythm. And so we have this thing uh, that we do called a dream feed. It's part of our kind of rhythm that we're using to sleep train her. And essentially what that means is we put her to bed around like 730-ish. Um, and a few hours into her sleep, she gets hungry, 
because her stomach is like this big, right? Um, and so she gets hungry, and for her to sleep through the night, which she's done a few times and we're super thankful for, for her to sleep through the night, we need to give her a little bit of food, right? And so what we'll do is I've kind of owned this dream feed, if you will. Um, my wife is like totally turns into a pumpkin at like 9 o'clock. So, so like I've just said, hey, I'll take care of this. And it's just been the sweetest thing for me to just be able to – what I do is I sneak into her room real quiet, and I keep everything dark, and I pick her up while she's still sleeping, and I feed her her bottle. And she stays asleep the whole time, and I lay her right back down, and she stays asleep the whole time, hopefully, right? Fingers crossed. And it's the sweetest thing, these little cuddles, right? Um, but it's the funny thing because we've been doing this for a few weeks now, dream feeding her with a bottle. And so now she knows subconsciously what's happening when I walk in to feed her. And I swear the minute that she hears that door open to her room, this girl just starts like clawing and grabbing and fussing. Like I can't get the bottle in her mouth fast enough. She still hasn't even woken up yet. And she's like, where is the milk, right? Like, like she's craving it. Like, she needs to have it. It's this, like, this, like, eager just urge of, like, this is the only thing that matters right now is that I get this milk in my belly, right? And it's such a vivid picture. I love it because every night I get this vivid picture of what God is calling us to. That I should have this urge, this craving, this deep desire to spend time with Jesus in Scripture. You guys hear me? This is what Peter is calling us to, is what he's encouraging uh, for us. But see, the problem is that I've tasted. I've seen that the Lord is good, like as we read in the scripture, if you've tasted and seen the Lord is good. Here's the problem. I have tasted. I know that the Lord is good. Those times that I spend with Jesus in scripture are powerful. A lot of the time it's, it's extremely formative to who I am and the way that I see the world. I know that it's good. I know that it's worth my time. And still I have to be reminded over and over and over again. Still I'm not very good at making it a priority. And obviously the early Jews that, uh, that Peter is writing to had to be reminded as well. You see that? He reminds them to crave this time with God. And that tells me that we all need this reminder. Now, if you think about it, like if you've had a, a good steak dinner, you know, or something like that, uh, you don't have to be told to crave that, right? <laughs> you just want it, right? You just, you, you'll have it whenever you can. And there's something interesting about this where we know that God is good. We've experienced his goodness, but yet we have to be reminded. I have to be reminded. It's so interesting, isn't it? And I think, I think what it is, what my theory is, is that I, I, think, I think that we look for our significance and our value in things that are right in front of us. I think that we look for our significance, our value, our worth in the things that we see uh, day in and day out, the things that we see other people finding their significance and their value in. And I think that, that our uh, craving to spend time with God in the Word is, is actually inexplicably linked to where we find our value. And I think that that's what Peter says in the rest of this passage. Because see, what happens is my affections start to drift. I start to not want Jesus as much as I want anything else, right? And my hope, if I'm not careful, starts to get misplaced. And I start to have hope in other things more than I hope in Christ. And as we've talked about, Jesus is our only hope. He's the only thing that really 
satisfies, uh, but, but my affections drift to other things, right? And if you think about it, we're constantly misplacing our hope. We think that we're going to find significance in our work, right? If I can just get that next promotion, if I'm in charge of X amount of people, then maybe I'll feel important, right? Or, or, or maybe if I can just drive the 2020 model instead of the 2019 model, maybe then I'll feel important, right? Or, or maybe if I had that relationship with that person, maybe I would feel important or people would think that I'm valuable, right? And we look for our significance in so many other things. We have this deep longing to feel important, to be part of something that's important, to feel valuable, right? And so we go searching. We go off in so many different directions, all away from Christ, who is the only source that's actually going to fulfill. And we go to everything else. You hear me? And what that does is, is we come up empty over and over and over again, and then we have this feeling of worthlessness. I don't matter. What I do doesn't matter, right? Did you know that worthlessness, the feeling of worthlessness, is the number one cause of depression in our society? I don't have to tell you guys the statistics. It's scary how much depression and even suicide are on the rise in our culture. It's scary because it's mostly in our young people. And if you look, a lot of the time, it's linked to a feeling of worthlessness. We feel like we don't matter. We feel like we're not a part of something that's important, right? And all the time, we're looking for something that's valuable. We're looking for something that's significant. And we're trying all of these other things. We're running to all these other things. But we know that there's only one true source of hope, and we don't go back there. You hear me? So Peter's saying, crave the word. Crave the word. Crave time with Jesus. This is the only thing that's going to actually make you feel full. It's the only thing that's going to actually help you to grow. That's going to sustain life. Is for you to crave the word. Now, let's dig in a little bit further into what Peter has to say here. We're going to read verses 4 and 5. And I think that there are two things uh, that Peter's trying to communicate in this passage. There are a lot of things. We could dig really, really deep into this. But I think today there are two important things that we need to take away from it. So let's read uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So as I said, there's a lot going on, even in just these two verses. But the first thing that I want us to pull out of this that I think Peter is trying to tell us is that Christ is the cornerstone. Look at that in verse 4. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, Chosen and precious. Now this word, this terminology that he uses, living stone, right? In other translations, you'll see it translated to cornerstone. It essentially means the same thing. He's kind of saying living cornerstone here is essentially what he's trying to do, okay? And this cornerstone thing um, is something that the Jews were waiting for. 
Because to give you guys a little bit of context, um, the Jewish people were God's chosen people all the way back to Genesis and Abraham. Uh, God told Abraham, you'll be a chosen nation, right? And so the Jews are chosen people. And there was a time in their history that was really good where they had a very strong nation with secure borders and they had a temple in the middle of it and they would all go to the temple in the middle of the city and this is where they would gather, right? And this is where the presence and the power of God would rest was in this temple. Now Isaiah writes his prophecy years later where they're in exile. They don't have this temple anymore. Even if it was still standing, it's not a place that they can meet. And worship. And so Isaiah prophesies. Let's look at what he says. He says, Isaiah 28, 16, this is what the Lord, sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It, pay attention to that, it is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. So Isaiah says, there's a cornerstone coming. Don't worry about it. There's a cornerstone coming. And the Jews look forward to this. Now, for us, we're going like, okay, great. What is a cornerstone? <laughs> right? Some of us might not even know what that means or have an understanding. And honestly, like, who uses building terminology, like, all the time, right? Not me. Maybe some of us. I don't know. I was going to ask, are there any, like, people that work in masonry in here? But I don't <laughs> Are there any people that work in masonry? No. Okay. See? So we don't really know what a cornerstone is. So... Uh, I have these bricks. They were actually way heavier than I thought they were going to be in the first service. But, but a cornerstone is the first brick that's laid when you're building a building. Okay, You lay the first brick down, and this is the cornerstone. A lot of the time when you see those old buildings downtown and they have the, the commemorative plaque on them, a lot of the time that is the cornerstone. It's the first one that they laid down. Okay, Every other stone that you lay as you're building the structure is laid in relationship to the cornerstone. You see that? Everything rests on this cornerstone. Everything is built in relationship to the cornerstone. And if the cornerstone isn't solid, your building's not solid. If the cornerstone is solid, your building is solid. Does that make sense? And this is what Isaiah is talking about. He's saying there's going to be a cornerstone that's coming that we can build the temple on. And it's going to be solid, and it won't be able to be shaken like the old one was. It's not going to be like that. This is going to be different, okay? Let's look at what Peter says. He quotes Isaiah in verse 6. He's finishing this idea that Christ is the cornerstone. And he says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. Does this sound familiar? I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You see what he's doing here? The Jews that he's writing to would have had their mind blown. Because Isaiah says it. He says there's a cornerstone that's coming and it will be solid and safe to build on. Peter says he. Because he knows who it is. Peter says Jesus is the cornerstone that we've waited for this entire time. Peter says Jesus is a cornerstone that we can trust. Jesus is solid and safe to build on. We can build our lives on Jesus and know that it's going to be safe. We can build our lives on Jesus and know that he's going to take care of us. Now, now let's look back on verse 4 and see what, what Peter says. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, 
rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Rejected by men. Now, if you think about it, when Jesus came, he was rejected by men, right? People didn't want to hear what he had to say, and actually we killed him. Jesus says that if we follow him, we're going to be rejected by men as well. Look at what he says. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So Peter's writing to persecuted Jews, and he says, remember what Jesus said. It's no secret why you're being persecuted. You're following Jesus. Jesus said the world rejected him. And and if you follow him, the world's going to reject you. It's just par for the course. Now listen, y'all, I'm not saying be unlikable. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there's something about the way that Jesus lives. There's something about the way that Jesus calls us to live. That is so countercultural when Jesus says things like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. There's something that's so countercultural about that that it just irks people, especially people in places of power. It really frustrates people. And the way of Jesus is subversive. And not everybody's going to like it. Okay? And so if we find ourselves in a place in life where we're finding all of our approval and our significance from the people around us, chances are we're probably not actually following Jesus. It's a tough message to swallow, but it's true. So Jesus says, if you follow me, you're not going to be approved of. You're not going to find value or worth or significance from the people around you. But you notice he says, if you belonged to the world, the world would love you, but you don't belong to the world. Right? He says, I have chosen you. You belong to me. And what that tells you is that your value is very clearly set by who you belong to. Your value is set by who you belong to. Let me tell you a story to illustrate that point. I used to have this mug, um, and it was my favorite mug in the world. Uh, it was a Beatles mug with the cover of Rubber Soul on it. Uh, and I loved this mug so much. And, um, my wife's in the back, knows where this is going. Um, I love that mug so much, and I swear, coffee tasted better in that mug. There's no science behind that, but I'm positive. Coffee tasted better in that mug than any other mug in the world, right? And so uh, one day, I remember I came home from work, and uh, I make coffee in the afternoon. Like, I just need coffee all day round, so I make coffee in the afternoon. And I came home from work, and I made coffee, and I went to pour the coffee into my rubber sole mug, right, my favorite mug, and I went looking for it, and it was gone. I couldn't find it anywhere. So I asked my wife, because she knows where everything is in the house, and I don't know where nothing is in the house. Um, and, and so I said, hey, where, where's my rubber sole mug? My Beatles mug, you know, where, where's my Beatles mug? And she goes, oh, I, I gave it to Goodwill. I was like, what? She goes, yeah, you never use it. I was like, if I get a choice on what mug to use, I'm going to pick that one. <laughs> Like, I love that mug. That's my favorite mug. Why would you give that one away, right? And she has this, like, thing where she'll go through and stuff that we don't use, she'll just collect and give to Goodwill. And 99% of the time, it doesn't bother me at all because our house has no clutter in it, and I don't really need the stuff that I have that I don't use, right? And so I'm thankful for it. But in this case, I was not very thankful for it, right? 
that mug meant something to me. And here's the, here's the kicker of it all, is that she gave it away to Goodwill for free, right? It was valuable to me, but she gave it away to Goodwill for free. And then Goodwill looked at it and said, it's probably worth about two bucks. And they put it on the shelf for two dollars. And some lucky guy came around and saw, that is the coolest mug in the universe, and bought it for two bucks. And it's probably sitting on his counter at home. And he probably doesn't even use it because he has a different mug that's his favorite. You hear me? Right? That mug doesn't have any value in and of itself, but it had value to me because it was mine. Because I loved it. Right? You take it, you take it away from that, take it away, it's not my mug anymore, then it doesn't have any value, but it has value to me because I loved it, right? And this is what Jesus is saying. If you belong to the world, then they then they would love you, right? That's great. If you belong to the world, then cool. You could find your value, you could try and find significance there, but you're not gonna find it. You're gonna come up empty every single time. Jesus says, You belong to me. You belong to me. And you notice what, what Peter did there in verse four is he says that God called Jesus chosen and precious. So it doesn't matter if the world rejected him. It doesn't matter what the world says about him because he belongs to God and God said he's chosen and precious. And let me tell you, if you're in Christ, God has called you chosen and precious. So it doesn't matter what the world says. You don't belong there. You belong to Christ. And so what Peter is trying to tell us here is that we can build our lives on this cornerstone. We can say, this is where my value comes from. This is where my significance comes from. Because Christ has called me his own. I belong to the family of God. And everything in my life is going to be built in relationship to that cornerstone. Every single thing I do, every single post on social media, every relationship that I have, everything's going to be built around who Christ is, because that's where my value is. That's what I'm resting on. Are you with me? Peter continues this idea in verses 7 and 8. He says, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let me tell you something, y'all. If we build our lives on anything else other than Jesus, Jesus just becomes an obstacle in our way, right? Jesus is chosen and precious. He's the only safe cornerstone, right? But if we substitute him for something else, we're chasing success or we're chasing money or we're chasing relationships or whatever it might be that we're chasing, what happens is this cornerstone that's chosen and precious ends up just becoming an obstacle in our way. Jesus and the message of Jesus ends up becoming offensive to us because it doesn't give us what we want. And so what Peter's saying is, you can try and build your life on other things, but your, your building's going to crumble. It's not going to be worth anything. But if we build our life on Christ, we can trust it. He's safe and he's solid and we can lean on him. So with that being said, we talked about how Christ is the cornerstone. I think the second thing that Peter's saying here in this chapter, in this passage, is that we are the temple. So look at 1 Peter 2.5. 
He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we talked about the temple, right? This is where all the Jews would gather. It's where the power and presence of God rested, right? And the Jews in this time of exile longed for a time when Israel would become a nation again and the temple would be rebuilt and the spirit of God and the presence of God and the power of God could once again rest on the temple, right? But Peter's actually saying something different here. Peter's saying, what if God wanted to make you the temple? What if God's not as concerned about restoring this one temple? What if it's better that we, our bodies, become the temple of God? Think about it. Think about it just for a second. Instead of having to go to a special place where we can experience the power and presence of God, right? What if the power and presence of God lived in us? And wherever we go, we carry the presence of God. Wherever we go, we carry the power of God. Think about it. What if instead of us going to church, we become the church? We are the church. This building is not the church. These people are the church, right? And so Peter's saying, you keep longing for this one central location, and that's great. That's all well and fine. That's, that's, that's a different thing. But listen, what God is trying to do is he's turning us all into temples. If we build our lives on the cornerstone that is Jesus, God is building us into temples so that wherever we go, the power of God goes. Wherever we go, the presence of God goes. And isn't that so much better? Think about it. Instead of one building behind Publix in Cane Bay, no, no, no. That's not the church, right? Because if this is the church right here, if this is the church, then people don't get to hear us unless they walk in these doors at 9 or 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, right? If this is the church right here, then, then nobody gets to experience the church unless they have decided to take the initiative to come here. Now, I'm thankful for people that come here. That's great. If you're here and you're just searching and seeking, we love it. That's why we exist, right? Like, we're thankful you're here. But listen, church, if you're a Christian, the church is not here behind Publix in Cane Bay. The church is on almost every street in our neighborhood. Listen, your house becomes an outpost for the kingdom of God. Listen, everywhere you go, the spheres of influence that we walk in, our workplace, our neighborhood, you name it, is a place where the power and presence of God can be, can be present and known. Isn't that so much better? So, so one time I went, I went to Canada on a mission trip, which you wouldn't think Canada is a place you go for mission trips. Um, but it was actually this, like, uh, Indian reservation, Native American reservation, uh, pretty far north up in Canada, and it's got its own island. It's the largest freshwater island in the world. Um, and we went there. There were a lot of, like, drug and alcohol issues uh, with the families there, and, and we just went, and we basically just hung out with their kids for a week. It was really powerful. Um, but there's this weird thing about Canada where um, 
in a lot of places, their water and their electricity are linked together. So if, you, if your water's not working, your electricity's not working. So, uh, yeah, there's something about that. And so it's kind of interesting. Uh, something happened with the dam a couple miles up the river, and we lost power on the island. The entire island was out of power. Now, thankfully, that happened during the day, so we were able to prepare, go like, okay, how are we going to cook food? You know, what can we cook over a fire? Uh, you know, how are we going to see? <laughs> you know, simple things, right? Um, and so I, in, pre- in preparation for nightfall, uh, I noticed that there were these solar lights that kind of lined the pathway, okay? Um, I noticed there were these solar lights, and, and I just grabbed one of them, pulled, them, pulled it out of the ground. I probably shouldn't have done this, but... I was carrying it, and I was like, when it gets dark, this thing will light up, and it'll be like my flashlight, like my own personal flashlight, right? So I'm walking around with this solar light, and it gets dark, and I have the solar light in front of my face, and it's lighting my path, and it's great. It's very good, right? I love my solar light. And uh, other people that didn't have solar lights or flashlights, I mean, they, they, at first they were kind of stumbling around in the dark as nightfall hit, um, and then they just couldn't stop talking about how amazing the stars looked. Just kept telling me the stars just look incredible. And I'm like looking at them going, yeah, I mean, they're, they're cool. That's fine. No, no, no. This is the best thing you've ever seen. I don't, how can you say it's all right? This is unbelievable. So I noticed that my solar light was kind of creating some light pollution for my eyes, right? I couldn't see the stars very well because I had the solar light in my hand. So I decided to put the solar light down and walk away from it. And as I walked away from that one little light, I started to notice that the sky was lit up with billions of stars. Like it's one of those moments, I don't know if you've ever seen this, where you can see the stars that way <laughs> on the horizon. It was unbelievable. And we were far enough north that we could see the northern lights as well. So we're watching the northern lights reflect in the sky and all of these billions of stars. I mean, just the dome of our universe. Like it was, it was unbelievable. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, what we end up doing with the church, like as as in church at Cane Bay, is it becomes our solar light. If we're not careful, it becomes our solar light. All of our attention gets focused on this one little light and what we have going on here. Don't get me wrong. We love you being plugged in. We love you being connected. It's all great. But it's for a purpose, right? And sometimes if we're not careful, we start to shift and drift. And, and, and next thing you know, we're like trying to plan the next cool outing with all of our Christian friends before we try and plan the next way that we're going to go be the temple out in the harvest. You hear me? And when we hit that point, we have to be very careful because that's not why the church exists. We exist here to equip you, right? Our hope is, is that we will be equipped and sent out so that we can be the church in our community. Not so that we can come to church and enjoy it, right? That's not the point. And that's why we lean so hard into missional communities. That's why we lean so hard into church planting. If you're new around here and you notice, they don't really have a lot of programs here. That's intentional. We purposely do that because we've said the reason that the church exists is to equip us the church, to be the church out in the community. And that's the thing that we're, that's the only thing we're going to do. That's the only thing we're going to do. And if you want to hang out with your Christian friends, that's really cool. There's a good place for that and stuff. But like plan that on your own, man. Like, listen, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, if I'm coming down too hard, this is just, this is what we're passionate about. 
We are passionate about seeing every man, woman, and child in our radius see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've said, we're going to invest in missional communities. We're going to train people how to be sent out and be the church in the community. And instead of having this one little church, this one little solar light, we're going to have billions of stars. Like, the entire Charleston area is going to be infected with the gospel because of what we do here. That's our hope. Right? Amen. And if we start to shift our focus, we start to turn our eyes to something else. Yes, may, it may feel temporarily like, oh, this is good. I love hanging out with all of my friends, right? But that's not what the gospel requires of us. You hear me? We are the temple. And what could be more significant than that? What could be more significant than that? Listen, God has chosen you. He's called you. He said that you're chosen and precious. That's great. It's not just for you. God didn't say you're special just because you're special. I'm sorry. God chose you and called you as special so that you could be sent out into the world. Right? That is our purpose. We are the temple. Look at what Peter says in uh, verses 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen to this. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. How much more important is that? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter says, listen, once you were nothing, you didn't do anything to deserve the grace and mercy of God. He just poured it out on you because that's who he is. But he called you and he adopted you and he made you part of his family and he gave you value. Not just so that you can sit here, oh, I love Jesus and Jesus loves only me. No. No. The people that God calls chosen and precious, he sends out that others might know him. Look at what Peter says here in verses 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Remember, they were exiles, but not on accident. It was all part of God's plan. God sent them out on purpose to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may what? See your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If you guys serve around here, if you're on a, on a serving team, uh, we do a little huddle uh, where we pray together before every service. And what do we say? We're a family on mission for every man, woman, and child, right? If we cease to emphasize that on mission part, it's very easy. We're a family. But listen... On mission for every man, woman, and child is the important part, right? Because God called us. Yes, we are a chosen people. Yes, we are part of God's family. Yes, God thinks we are infinitely valuable. But it's so that others might know him. It's it's so that the people that don't know him might know him. And it's really, in the end, all about God's glory. So I had a friend... Um, that I, I, she lived in my same apartment complex, and we served uh, together at this college ministry when I lived in Detroit. And uh, and she, 
she had a burden on her heart uh, to fight sex trafficking. It's a real big problem up there in Detroit. And I've, I've heard it's a pretty big problem here, too, actually. It's a lot of places. Um, but she had this burden to fight sex trafficking. And so one year on Valentine's Day, she started a group, uh, just a Facebook group of like 30 of her friends, and just basically said, um, hey, you know, instead of spending money on your significant other this year to let them know that they're valuable, uh, what if you donated that money to one of these anti-sex trafficking organizations, and she listed a bunch of them, so that we can let these women on the streets know that they're valuable. And she called it all worthy of love. Everybody's worthy of love, right? And so she did this, right? And there's a crazy turn of events that I don't have time to, to say right now, but essentially, I want to say two months later, she had already, like, it became a nonprofit, and there was all this momentum behind it, and she's like, oh, I guess we got to figure out how to do outreach, because now we have all this funding, and I mean, it was the craziest thing. God just blessed the socks off of it, but they started doing this outreach, and essentially what the outreach was is they would go down to the rough parts of Detroit, and they would have a bagged lunch for every one of the women that they were going to encounter. It was probably the only meal that they were going to get all day, right? And they would bring this bag of lunch, and it would have, like, a blanket or some gloves if it was cold outside. Um, And they would just pray with these women and remember their names, like simple things, right? The most important thing, I think, and the coolest thing is that in this packed lunch, there was always a note. It was a tiny little note, just a note on a little piece of paper. And that note would always say something different, but essentially the same kind of thing. Stuff like, you are loved. Like, Jesus loves you. Or just something simple like, there are people that care about you. Or something simple like, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are worthy of love, right? Because what they believed is that these women had forgotten their value, or they had misplaced it in something that was a very shaky cornerstone. And it hadn't turned out well for them. And so they thought, you know, if we can just remind them in little ways where their value, where their worth comes from, Maybe we can make a difference. Maybe God could do something. Um, and so we call it AWOL, All Worthy of Love, AWOL. Um, I actually have a quick video for y'all to see um, about uh, one of their stories. So we'll throw that up there. Talking like five, five, six, seven years of faithfulness, coming down to the streets, praying for me, giving me gifts, letting me know that I'm loved, letting me know that I'm worth it. Even the little messages that I used to wrap my dope up in, keep reopening it every day until the paper broke free. But eventually, those seeds, you know, they took, they, they, they took root, and all of a sudden, things just came together. We never gave up on her. I remember telling her, we're not just praying for you on Mondays. We pray for you every day, and we're going to make a way to get you out of here. So I broke down with uh, Heather and Courtney, and I said, you know, I really... I like I can't do this anymore. Heather prayed for me, and I don't quite remember what she was praying, but I heard a voice in the back of my head, and it said, "Come to me, all you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest." And I fell to my knees, and I just cried out, "Oh God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me." I didn't know how I was going to be okay. I didn't know where, when, anything, but I know who. And Jesus came to save me, and it was at that moment right then, right there, that I turned my life over. I 
don't believe that women are just going to check themselves into a safe house and say, hey, I'm a survivor. I, I, I've been sex trafficked. I need somebody to help me. That It doesn't work that way. It's people showing up time and time again and saying, I love you. I believe in you. Let me help you. Let me just let me do anything I can for you. What do you need from me? Time and time and time again that actually implements change. It will definitely save my life. I tried to get out of this lifestyle at least half a dozen times, but AWOL never gave up on me. Their faithfulness, their determination, their passion to, to raise me up, I never would have, I would have stayed lost and broken and hopeless. It's loving people exactly where they're at, without any motive, without an agenda, just believing in people, because that's what people mean. They need someone to believe in them. All I ever wanted in my life was a family, and now I found my family's day long. Sorry, I turned my mic off. Hmm. How powerful is that? Man, that last line, all I ever wanted in life was a family. That's what we all want. We want to belong to something. We want to feel like we're a part of something important, right? And the coolest thing is that she saw her value. She realized that her significance is in Christ and not in anything else, right? And so even though she had a past, she has hope beyond her past. And now she has hope beyond insignificance because she can build her life on Jesus Christ. Because she does that, she's chosen and precious. She's worthy of love, right? But that, that's not the most powerful part about that video to me. The most powerful part about that video to me was the shirt she was wearing. Did you see it? It said abolitionist. And so she has seen her value. She's seen her worth. She's made Christ the cornerstone of her life. She's built her life on Jesus. And now God has made her into a temple. And she goes back to the streets. She doesn't just stay there in the comfortable security of this new life. She goes back to the streets because there are so many other women that don't know their value. That don't know their worth. And she's been there. She knows what that feels like. And so she goes back and she says, no, no, no. I am a temple. I'm the abiding place of the power and the presence of God. Now I will go back to the people that don't know him, and I will tell them of their worth. That they are chosen and they are precious as well. That they don't have to settle for building their lives on other junky cornerstones that aren't going to amount to anything, but there's a solid cornerstone that they can build their life on as well. You see that? We're not chosen just for us. We're chosen for the sake of the Gentiles. We're chosen for the sake of those that don't know Christ yet. That's why we're called. And that's why we're sent. And so today we're going to take communion together. And what I want us to do as we take communion is two things. When you take the bread and you take the cup, what I want you to do is, first of all, I want you to tell Jesus, hey, I want to build my life on you. 
I don't want to be built on anything else. I don't want to find my value, my worth, my significance from anything else other than you. But Jesus, you are a safe and precious cornerstone. That you're worth it, Jesus, and everything in my life that I build will be built in relationship to you. And then the second thing that I want you to do is you take the bread and you take the cup is I want you to commit in your heart that you will not just go to church, but that you will be the church. That as we come to him, the cornerstone, that we will be built into living stones, that we will be built into the temple of God, that wherever we go, the power and presence of God goes. Instead of coming to church, we're going to start to be the church. And I really believe that if we take that to heart, if we really take that seriously, if we actually do it, listen, y'all, if you aren't in an MC, get in an MC. I don't know, like, we can beg you and plead, but, like, please get in an MC. If you're not in a missional community, join one. If you are in a missional community, guys, let's remember what we get to do. Let's remember, this is the whole point of it. This is everything. This is why God has chosen us. This is why God's called us, is so that he can send us out to those that don't know him. What a powerful way to be able to do that. This morning, as you take the bread and you take the cup, I pray that you commit in your heart that you will not just go to church, but that you will be the church. And I'm excited to see what God might do with a room full of people that have made that commitment. Man, what could God do with that? Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for who you are. And Jesus, we invite you to move in us. Jesus, we thank you for speaking to us. Jesus, as, as we take communion together, we thank you for the family that you've given us here, that you've given us infinite value and worth because our lives are tied up in who you are. Jesus, I pray that you would work in us, that you would compel us to be the church. You would compel us to carry your power and your presence out with us wherever we go. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your holy name. Everyone said, amen.